0: I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Dr. Natanya Maraschino-Brown. Dr. Brown received her DMD degree from Tufts University School of Dental Medicine in 2005, followed by a GPR at Harvard School of Dental Medicine and Brigham and Women's Hospital. She then completed an endodontic residency at the University of Illinois at Chicago College of Dentistry in 2009 and is a board certified by the American Board of Endodontics. Natanya has been practicing endodontics in San Francisco since 2009, both as an associate and as a practice owner. She has also volunteered in the Department of Endodontics at UCSF School of Dentistry. Natanya is a certified life and weight loss coach with training from the Life Coach School. While being passionate about saving people's teeth, she is also passionate about helping other dentists live their best lives at their ideal weight. Having been raised in Spain and Puerto Rico, Natanya is fluent in Spanish and pre-COVID enjoyed international travel. She's a huge fan of tennis, and when she isn't working, she can be found on the tennis courts practicing her topspin forehand. She lives in San Francisco with her husband and two sons. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Natanya Brown. Natanya, I am so excited to bring you to the show today. Thank you so much for spending your time with us, and we really can't wait to hear more about your story. So, Tell us in your your little history of how you got involved in dentistry, and let's get the show going. Mary Jane, thank you
1: so much. I'm really thrilled to be here. I feel very honored to have been invited on. Yeah, I, I grew up abroad in Spain and in Puerto Rico. I grew up with my parents, of course, and, and my sister. And after graduating high school in Puerto Rico, I went to Tufts for college, and Little did I know when I started college at Tufts that I would actually continue on to dental school there, so I feel really fortunate to have had the opportunity to to stay in Boston, of course, as an undergraduate, I um, lived out in Medford and Somerville, and then in dental school, I got to move it you know downtown, which was pretty exciting
0: so you're a double jumbo I am a double jumbo that's yeah. right very cool
1: yeah, and so um you know, having lived in different places, I think just having, I developed an appreciation for different cultures. Spanish was my first language. And then I always went to school in English. So English did become my dominant language. But to this day, I still very much appreciate, you know, international travel, of course, when there isn't COVID um, happening. I miss my travel.
0: I can tell you that. Yes, I think we all do. Well, how did you get interested in dentistry? If you came to to Somerville and entered Tufts without that intention, you know, what drew you to the profession? Yeah. So in college,
1: initially, I w- thought I was going to follow my sister's footsteps and go into medicine. I ended up actually transferring from the College of Liberal Arts into the College of Engineering very early on in my undergraduate career, which was pretty rare. Mostly people transfer out of the College of Engineering. And so I... um was one of very few females at the time. Certainly nothing like, you know, many years ago, for instance, like when Dr. Esther Wilkins went through dental school, for for example. But, But I do certainly remember being in large classes and being one of maybe a handful at best of the women in the class. And I will never forget, actually, Dean Knox was female dean of engineering at Tufts um, when I was going through, and she was a true inspiration and really gave me a fantastic pep talk as I was going through the program. There was a, a point that you know I wasn't sure to consider civil engineering or electrical engineering, or uh, I ended up going with biomedical engineering for my college degree. But she was just a real source of inspiration. And my sister actually was the one that that got me interested. As I mentioned before, she ended up really, um, even though I thought I was going to follow her for footsteps, she ended up really piquing my interest because um, I spent a summer with her between my junior and senior year of college. And she just said, you know, have you ever considered dentistry? And of course, at that point, I was thinking I was going to continue on with engineering or or perhaps I was still open to a medical profession. Even I was considering becoming a veterinarian or a physician. But when my sister started talking to me about dentistry, she said that she had many friends that were in dental school that that were very happy. And so I decided to, you know, as with anything in life, it's all a leap of faith. But I said, you know, I don't really know a lot about dentistry, but At a minimum, I know I can take the next step. I can apply and I can be learning about it as I go. And so I just decided to go for it. And it was a fantastic decision.
0: And you graduated 2005, I think you said?
1: 2005, that's right. So I went straight from graduating college at Tufts. I went straight in that following fall to Tufts Dental. And it was the best decision I ever made.
0: Yeah, it's a great school. It's really, it's a great school. It's a great family. You know, I I do believe that we feel very much like a a huge family across the world because we have graduates coming from, you know, everywhere across the the world. And and it's just nice to see that camaraderie and that that feeling of warmth whenever you meet somebody that, you know, right away, I connected with you because we're both Tufts graduates, right? So you know, it's, it's a nice thing to have. And so then you went from directly to a GPR, correct? Exactly.
1: So after finishing at Tufts Dental, I went into a GPR at Harvard Brigham and Women's. Uh, I don't know if they still have more than one GPR, but at the time they had two different, they were running two different GPRs. And that was a phenomenal experience as well. I, I truly learned an inordinate amount, you know, through OR cases and through like the rotations that I did through anesthesia as well as um, MGH and through the Cambridge Health Alliance. So they really rotated us through some really amazing places where we could just really learn quite a lot.
0: And is that when you decided to go into endodontics?
1: Yes. And so I You know, I think throughout every stage, I've had some amazing mentors. I already, you know, I was already interested in endo in dental school, although certainly, you know, I wasn't positive if I wanted to specialize, but both Dr. Rankin and Dr. Amato left a really great impression with me. In my opinion, they made it really fun. I think endo at a pre-clin level can be really tough and it's, you know, kind of abstract and you don't really understand exactly what's going on and you can't see everything. And then you have to take all these x-rays. And so at some point during my GPR, I, I realized just how gratifying it is to be able to get people out of pain. It's very tangible. And so I decided that's, that's the area that I wanted to specialize in.
0: Very good. Very
1: good. So you went to Tus, and then you went on to Chicago? Yes. So I, I practiced for a year as a general dentist um, in Brighton. And then after that, I, my husband and I moved out to Chicago. So I was very fortunate when I applied to endo programs that I had a, a few options. And so we chose to go to, to Chicago and my husband simultaneously was getting an MBA at the University of Chicago. And so that worked out perfectly because we were both in two year programs and we couldn't have planned it any better.
0: That's perfect. Now, how did you end up in California? So you it seems like you've gone all the way kind of around the United States in your journey. So how did you end up in California?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And I often tell people that, you know, from Puerto Rico, I went to, to Boston and then my husband and I worked our way out West and then that's it. There's no more stops on the bus. Like we're
0: done. <laughs> so we so we say sometimes so
1: what- we say that's right plans are futile right none of us really know what the future holds but so my sister She moved out to California to go to medical school, Southern California, and she's stayed there ever since. And so, even as I was applying to college, she's several years older than me, so she was already in medical school when I was in college. And I had considered moving to California even when I was applying to college. So for some reason, I was just always intrigued by Northern California, and my husband is in the tech industry, and so certainly the Bay Area is really a hub for that, and so San Francisco was really just a natural fit as far as really everything we were looking for, and um, I've been very fortunate that my parents have been also relocated to California, so now we're all all in the
0: same time zone in the same state. That's awesome. There's nothing better than that, especially as, as a, a fairly new grandmother. I can say that I would be devastated if my daughter was someplace else where I wasn't, right? I, I just can't imagine not being so close to my grandchildren as they grow up because it's such a short, very quick amount of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't take that for
1: granted for one moment because I have lived many years of my life far away from my family. And so it's it's really something that I don't take for granted now at
0: all. That's amazing. Good for you. So now you're in private practice and you have your own practice and you work for another practice. Is that correct? Or are you now just full? So I have worked in a
1: lot of different capacities throughout uh, my 11 years in San Francisco. And so I was an associate in a few different endodontic practices for many years. I then did buy my own endodontic practice. It's been several years now and approximately three years I actually chose to sell. So I'm back to being an associate and that's, that's worked out quite well. I think when it comes to practicing and finding really the right situation or practice structure, it's really quite variable. And I think that, um, you know, when I moved out to San Francisco, my husband and I moved out to San Francisco, we moved out at an interesting time because it was 2009 and of course the economy was not so great. And um, perhaps there may be some parallels then to how it is now for recent graduates, I'm not sure. But certainly with the economy not being so great, initially it was quite tricky to find uh, an associateship when, when we moved out here. And so I was really committed to making it work no matter the distance that I needed to drive. And I think for many recent graduates, um, at least in certain uh, urban areas, they can piece together working at different offices as best as possible, and you do whatever you need to do to make Mm -hmm. it work. And so that's really what I did for several years. Finally, I had the opportunity to to own my own practice, which I did for for about two and a half years and the timing of that was was interesting because just as I was signing the paperwork to purchase the practice um, shortly thereafter, I learned I was pregnant with my second son and you know, throughout the time of owning the practice, I did a lot of soul searching to figure out whether location-wise it was going to be the best fit and whether that practice model of like me being a sole owner um, was really going to work. So I toyed with a lot of different options as far as, you know, bringing on an associate, but ultimately I did decide to to sell the practice and go back to being an associate, which has worked out really well.
0: So, you know, I'm curious because, you know, we, we as women talk about this all the time was there something about being a practice owner that, that was overwhelming? Because I think that your experience can help shed some light on other young women who might be thinking about buying a practice. And, you know, I don't think that there's any right or wrong reason. It's what, whatever is, is best for you personally. And obviously you made a great choice for yourself, which I highly applaud, but in the hopes of maybe saving somebody maybe the the mistake of, of going through the purchase and then having to resell it down the road and maybe losing money, especially during COVID-19. You know, we're all just trying to, you know, get our bearings and readjust to whatever that new normal is going to be. But I just, you know, I, I hope we can save somebody from making, you know, an error or, or uh, you know, help them decide, you know, one way or the other. Absolutely.
1: And so, you know, what I would say is, I guess for starters, um, the years that I did own a practice, they were very difficult and I did find them quite stressful. And now looking back, I'm very fortunate that I've had that experience because of everything that I've learned um, and how much I've been able to grow. But in the moment, I did find it very, very difficult managing employees and ultimately being responsible for everything that happened in the practice. So, I didn't have a lot of support as far as really learning the ropes of managing a practice and knowing how to problem solve at every step of the way. And so I think that is really probably the biggest thing that I would say to somebody that is coming out of school interested in buying a practice or starting a practice. I think having good support in place and mentorship specifically for the business things is really, really critical. And then of course as a female I did feel very torn as far as being able to you know devote the appropriate amount of time to my family versus the practice and the practice realistically is like another child so it needs especially in the early stages is like a newborn it needs quite a lot of time and attention and you know especially as dentists we are perfectionists we don't want uh, anything that we put out to be anything less than perfect and and you know any patient you work on, um, certainly they will go back into their communities and their families, and and will talk about the experience they had in your office. So I was very meticulous as far as from the very beginning to the end of the full patient experience. I wanted patients to have just the best experience. And so I think that also, you know, contributed to the amount of um, time I was devoting and just a feeling of things perhaps being a little bit out of balance during that time.
0: That's great feedback. And I, I appreciate you being um, so honest about it because I do think that we really need to know as women what we're getting into because we do have that additional responsibility. Now, I, I do understand that men are, are stepping up to the plate more so now than any other time in history to co-parent our children. But I do think that you know the the responsibility still feels and lands mostly on the female's lap. So that being said, we do have to be careful, you know, if we have this strong calling to being a mom, that we we realize that and recognize that ahead of time. Because, you know, I had a little bit more of the opposite experience where, you know, I was concerned that, you know, I was a bad mom, because I didn't want to be home all the time. And I didn't want the, you know, I wanted to be working and I wanted to have something that I could do. And I felt like I was a much better mom to my daughter because I was doing those things and not at home all the time. So um, I think that no matter what, whatever's right for you is what's right for you. And we, we do not in any way, shape or form, you know, mean to be judgmental at all. That's not the point here. The point is that you, everyone has to realize what's best for them. Absolutely. And each, and also just knowing that each stage
1: of the process is really a learning process Mm -hmm. and and an opportunity to really
0: grow, not just professionally, but personally. Absolutely. You know, I want to go back to something that you mentioned, which is something that I'm very passionate about because, um, you know, having gone to dental school and made a lot of mistakes in my practice, started it from scratch, you know, and grew it. But it took a long time, those initial you know, seven years were really, really difficult. And, you know, there were many times where there wasn't enough money at the end of the week to pay the staff. And, and never mind me, you know, th- those were challenging. And that to me uh, is a weakness in our curriculum, uh, to say it gently, you know, that, that we didn't get enough um, background in business. I think that we needed much more education. One of the reasons why I went back to Tufts is because I finished my MBA and wanted to give back to the students and, and help to support that side of things. Now, you know, we're, I think we're doing a much better job today than we have ever done in the past, where we have a course that is is very involved and given by a CPA who understands the mechanics of the business side of dentistry. Whereas, you know, when you and I were probably going to school, obviously I was much earlier than you, but when I was going to school, you know, there was just nothing, you know, they, they weren't spending any time on the business side of dentistry. Um, I was feeling very fortunate that, you know, I at least I had had years of experience as a hygienist, but, you know, most people don't have that. At least I knew how an office ran. I didn't know the, all the little details, but at least I knew how it ran. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, what do you feel like was your most pressing issues in the beginning for your practice and in things that made it uncomfortable. You mean
1: specifically for when I owned a practice? Yes,
0: for when you owned the practice.
1: Yeah. So um, you know Definitely in managing employees, um, I found to be a learning curve. And when I purchased the practice for various circumstances, the prior owner was not in a position to stay. And so that also contributed to, you know, feeling somewhat unsupported in the transition. And so the employees that were in the practice also chose to not stay. So um, right from the beginning, it, it almost kind of felt like a startup recruiting employees. And then I would say that was probably the biggest part that I found challenging, just you know, trying to make sure that they were properly trained and keeping them happy. Um, and yes, I think that was, that's probably the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, well, and it's one of the biggest um, financial burdens also on a practice is your staff and your employees. And, and if you get you know, one bad egg can ruin the bunch, right? So it's a difficult thing to get past. So now you're, you're, in, you're working as an associate, you're happy, you love it, you come and go as you please, and you've decided to start a second venture from what I understand. That's right. And so,
1: um, you know, what's interesting is, so a few years ago, I was feeling, uh, you know, while I owned the the practice, I was feeling quite overwhelmed and then came to the decision to sell the practice. And shortly thereafter, uh, came to become aware of life coaching and It was a female physician, a pediatrician, actually, that I became uh, familiar with her her work. She's a pediatrician that um, does life and weight loss coaching for other. Uh, practicing physicians. And after contacting her, I learned that she had received training and certification through the life coach school. And so one thing led to another, and I, I started to learn more about the process and then decided to go through the training myself. And what's funny is that, you know, sometimes I wonder whether I would have sold my practice or not if I had known about. You know some of these mindfulness techniques and approaches to living that I learned um, through becoming a certified life and weight loss coach myself. But really, the the goal. This particular uh, pediatrician w- is working with physicians specifically for weight loss. And I was listening to her podcast, and quickly I was learning that while she was talking about weight loss, in reality, what she was teaching her listeners was how. to lead a mindful life and how to live each day deliberately, you know, carefully thinking about how you want to experience life. And so I found that to just be so valuable. And then again, that's, that was really, so to speak, like my gateway drug into, into mindfulness. So now I have, you know, while I continue to practice endodontics and am very passionate about helping people to save their teeth, I am equally passionate about helping other dentists to lead a life where they feel like they're in the driver's seat as opposed to letting life happen to them. I, I feel like so frequently so many dentists feel like they're on a treadmill and they're stressed out and anxious and and even more so now with COVID, you know, there's so many circumstances that are outside of our control. And it's easy to focus on the negative and not not focus on all the good things that are actually happening in our lives and all the areas that we do have control over. So at this point, I, I have a passion to help other dentists to regain control of their lives. And then in turn, also I work with them, with those that are interested in losing weight as frequently when we are anxious or stressed out, many of us can turn to food or alcohol to make ourselves feel better.
0: It's so true. It's so true. I myself have struggled with both um, in my lifetime at various levels because of stress. And until you recognize that that's how you react to stress, you can't really improve on that. And fortunately, I I have come to terms with that. And I have an understanding of that now, which has really um, been really freeing for me. So Kudos to you because there's so many of us out there that struggle with that, and it's been a lifelong habit. And until you become uh, emotionally mature enough and uh, open enough, I think you know with your mindset that you really struggle with it, and it's it's a downhill battle all the time. Absolutely,
1: and that was you know one thing
0: that I was noticing in my own life. I would come home
1: from seeing, you know, a very busy day of, of patients and, you know, perhaps it, may have been a crazy day managing the employees, et cetera, or maybe an employee was out sick, for instance. And so what I found myself resorting to at the end of the day was really just comforting myself with food. And and so even if I was not hungry, it, let's say it was after dinner and I would just be having something else, some kind of a treat, something to help me feel better. And so really the first step, just kind of recognizing that that was going on was a really powerful switch in my mind as far as becoming aware of my own actions and how
0: instead of actually just feeling my feelings, I was trying to avoid them. Mm-hmm. I know. Isn't that interesting how we do that? We don't like to be in that uncomfortable side of things and, and recognize that we're struggling, right? Yes. I think that that's the hardest thing to do is, is recognize the struggle and, and look at it head on. Yes. Good for you. That's great. So, how can people find you?
1: Yeah. So, I maintain um, a video blog on Facebook. It is at Dr. Natania. So, that's Dr. Natania. And then, of course, on my website, which is drnatania.com.
0: That's drnatania.com. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So, if anybody has any questions, they can reach you there, correct?
1: Absolutely. Yes. I would be happy
0: to, to be in touch with anybody. Awesome. So I'm going to switch to some questions that I always ask my guests. And, you know, one of the biggest things is a focus on confidence. And it certainly seems as though you've had confidence your entire life. So I'm just going to ask, you know, have you always been a confident young woman or have you struggled a little bit and have you gained it as time has gone on? This is such a great question, Mary Jane. And I think this is
1: such an important one to really think about. You know, when we think about confidence, there's a distinction between confidence and self-confidence. And so let me just kind of clarify a little bit. Confidence is something that we have, that we gain when we have experience doing something. I remember when I finished dental school and the thought at least at that time was, if you go on to do a GPR, it will help you to gain confidence in your dental skills before you're out in a private practice scenario. So that's just one example. And so certainly the more and more procedures you do, the more confidence you gain in your ability. I'm very confident as an endodontist, I've done now thousands of root canal procedures. And so there's evidence to show that I am competent in this matter. And then I have confidence based on that. Self-confidence is actually pretty different. And it really, you know, we can perhaps Confuse the two occasionally, but let me define self confidence. So, self confidence really comes more from having your own back and believing and trusting in yourself to be a problem solver and to not beat yourself up when you make mistakes. And so, I believe that it's absolutely normal for all of us on our journeys to make all sorts of mistakes. You know, that's why they call it practicing. No matter how long you've been out in practice, you're not always going to be perfect, right? And, you know, I've been a dentist for 15 years and there's still plenty for me to learn. There's plenty for each of us to learn. And, and so then my self-confidence needs to come from a place of knowing with conviction that I will make mistakes and that I will learn from my mistakes and that I will not allow my brain to go to a negative place when I fall down or when I don't do my best quality work for, for example. So how we choose to handle those situations and learn and grow personally and professionally. I really think that's where the self-confidence piece comes from. And again, you know, I've been really fortunate to have some awesome mentors. I don't know that that mindset or that definition of self-confidence would have been something that I would have clearly articulated, you know, when I, even when I started dental school. Um, But I think having, you know, really um, strong female mentors to look up to has certainly been helpful. And then, of course, um, family and peers around me
0: now. Absolutely. And experience is a great teacher, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Experience is a great teacher. What one piece of advice have you received that has been really instrumental for you in your lifetime? You know, I mean, I think
1: probably the biggest one was when my sister recommended that I I consider going into dental school. You know, otherwise I would say mostly when I talk to people that are much further along in their career and they remind me just how really we should approach each day as a gift as opposed to, you know, sometimes we take everything so seriously and we're so concerned how different things may have long lasting impacts. And so I really try to keep everything in perspective and I ask myself, is this, situation that i'm in and the concerns that i'm facing right now will this matter to me tomorrow will it matter to me in one week will it matter to me in a month or in a year and so you know certainly yes sometimes there will be things that do concern or have repercussions down the line but it really helps to kind of bring into perspective and keep the spirit of of kind of you know not taking everything so seriously
0: Oh my gosh, that's really good advice. I, I really think you're absolutely spot on with that because life is too short and to crumble over an event, one event, you know, I was recently reading a book and, and you know, failure is just learning how not to do something. It's not a big deal. It's not the end of your life. It's not, you know, failures are just learning experiences. And if we look at it that way, it's so much easier to understand then if we think, oh my gosh, the world is coming to an end, you know? Absolutely. And something else that you just reminded me of
1: is the book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I and
0: love that book.
1: <laughs> it's really a, such an inspirational book. It sure is. One of the things that left such an impression on me was that, you know, as we embark on any anything in our lives... Um, we are we're going on a journey and it's similar to a road trip right and so it's absolutely natural to have fears and doubts and they're along for the ride, whether you like it or not. You're, you know, everyone has fears and doubts and uncertainties. And so then really the question isn't how can I get rid of all of my fears and doubts, but rather how much power and authority am I going to give to these fears and doubts? They're going to be along for the ride. Do I want them in the back seat, or do I want them, you know, actually holding driving driver. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was, that was a really powerful thing for me to ponder on because it, it gives me reassurance to know that, you know, all of us have fears and doubts and uncertainties. Now, when you look at our lives in COVID, perhaps we all had the illusion that everything in our lives was perfectly planned and everything was going to be falling into place as we expected. But um, if we really think about it, Um, you know, there's quite a lot that's outside of our control, even before COVID, right? So COVID makes us remember that there's a lot that's outside of our control. And yet, even still, there's plenty that we can focus on that we can control. We, We can always control our experience of what we're going through and
0: the attitude that we bring and how we show up to each situation. Absolutely. Well said. Absolutely. Well said. Who has made the biggest impact on your life? Oh, well, this is where I would have to say thank you to my parents,
1: because without their sacrifices and without their constant support, I know I wouldn't be where I am today. So they always prioritized, you know, education. Both of my parents are educators. And so I know they were constantly striving for me to achieve as much as
0: I was open to. So very good. Very good. Now have there been any obstacles in your life that you've overcome that you want to share with the audience?
1: absolutely so i touched on it briefly when my husband and i moved out to san francisco in 2009 as i mentioned the economy was wasn't great and so i was in a position where or we were both of us in, in a position where we had to do whatever it took to make it work and we didn't have children at the time but we were really committed to creating a life for ourselves in the city and so You know, there were plenty of times that we could have said, you know, maybe we need to throw in the towel and move elsewhere because unfortunately the cost of living is quite high here in San Francisco, but I'm very happy that we stuck it out and we can call this place home. Both of our boys were born here. And at least as of now, even with a pandemic, we have no plans of moving.
0: That's awesome. Good for you who in dentistry inspires you? Is there any, any um, mentors or women or even men? I mean, it doesn't have to be a female.
1: Yes. Well, interestingly, yes. Yeah. So Dr. Wilkins was a huge inspiration as well as Dr. Athena Pappas. So I had the opportunity to work in her lab, I believe... I'm, I'm, I might mess this up, but it, it may have been before dental school, like the summer before I started dental school. So this is so many years ago, I can't remember the specifics. Um, but she was a wonderful mentor and really took me under her wing and really helped me feel supported and welcome at Tufts. She was one of the the first people throughout. Uh, during my years in dental school, I also remember having, there was an article in the Tufts, uh, dental magazine that talked about the women in the dental school classes, like the percentage of women in the dental school classes. It was before I graduated in 2005. So maybe 2003 or 2004 when this came out and they, um, they did a highlight on Dr. Wilkins, of course, um and the number of women in her class versus the number of women in in my class. And I believe in the year that I graduated, there were at least at least 50% of the class was female. And so that was such a big transition, wonderful transition. But yes, I was so fortunate to have some amazing, amazing instructors. And, and um, Dr. Rankin and Dr. Amato really influenced me positively to, to pursue endodontics. I'm very grateful for all the instructors that I
0: had. That's awesome. So just a little sidebar. Dr. Pappas is working on a testing mechanism that uses saliva and is extremely accurate. So we're trying to support her and get that off the ground so that not only can we test ourselves, but test patients on a regular basis. So um, she is, you know, one of my favorite people and We share that in common. I also worked for her as a hygienist when I was in school in her her lab. So um, she holds a very special place in my heart as well.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: Yeah. So tell us one thing that people would be surprised to know about you.
1: (laughs) Well, this is actually a pretty funny non-dental related one, but... um... But, um, I almost went into the Hollywood business as a kid when I was about 11, I was actually in a movie with Forrest Whitaker. So for about, I think it was about two or three days, we filmed the movie there. They were looking specifically for, um, I I was in the movie with my mom and they were looking for a a middle-aged woman and a daughter that spoke Spanish and, um, we fit the bill. And it was a fairly violent movie, and I actually never saw saw it because I was a kid, and I don't believe I've seen it as an adult. Um, but they unfortunately ended us ended up cutting our part out of the movie. But to this day, I will still get um, you know like royalty checks from MGM. It's like maybe ten dollars every few years. It's very amusing to me. I I think that's awesome. Yeah. It's really funny. And it actually sometimes reminds me of Dr. Rankin and his mystic river.
0: The the mystic river. Yes. Uh, I I was just going to say, oh my gosh, you and Dr. Rankin must've gotten along so well because of of your, your, um, your keen interest in movie making. I think that's the first thing he introduces himself. He tells you his name. And then did you know I was a movie star?
1: That's right. Yeah. So endodontists in Hollywood. Little did you know that I didn't know there was going to be a correlation.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. That's exactly so good. that's so good. Have you ever had any aha moments when you realized you were doing exactly what you were meant to do? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I I will say, you know,
1: as an endodontist, it is extremely gratifying when you when you help a patient get them out of pain and they, you know, are just so grateful. Every time that I have that situation and, and, you know, everything goes very nicely and the patient just feels so grateful to be out of pain is really a moment that I, again, feel truly fortunate to be an endodontist and a dentist, of course. And, you know, in turn now with life and weight loss coaching for dentists, it's really quite a special moment also when I help and enable people to be able to use their brain in a totally different way to see their situations from a totally different perspective. And it doesn't have anything to do with necessarily changing their circumstances, but just approaching it from a different way. And so that is also in turn can cause a series of aha moments in a, in a different regard that is equally gratifying. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. What's your favorite way to relieve stress? Because since that's something that you concentrate on and we all have it, obviously dentistry is, is full of stress, but what's your favorite way?
1: Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a great question. You know, for starters, when it comes to stress, I think even just putting a name on it is helpful. So, you know, if you think about any time you've been angry, if you've ever actually articulated the words, I am angry, when you're angry, you notice that it kind of diffuses the feeling. It's hard to really say I'm angry when you're angry. And so likewise, when I'm really stressed, I take a moment and create a pause to really feel what I'm experiencing. And so with that in mind, I think there's plenty of activities that are helpful to reduce stress, but The goal is not necessarily to avoid the feeling, but rather to perhaps lighten the mood or to help my body feel relaxed as well. I love yoga and I'm an avid tennis player. So I like to engage in both of those pretty frequently every week.
0: That's great. Now, do you play with a league or anything now at this point? Uh,
1: Not currently in a league. I do play pretty frequently. So three to four times a week. I've been pretty consistent for about seven or eight years. And I have played in leagues before once coronavirus, excuse me, once coronavirus hit, um, that did kind of put a damper on things for a short period of time. But I haven't been back to league play since. But I do have a dream of, um, I have an unofficial goal of being the first 80-year-old lady to play at Wimbledon. So if that should happen, I will save you a front row seat.
0: Oh my gosh well I I'm not so sure I m- might be around but I do say that I'm going to live to 130 so I might just make it. That's awesome. Good for you. And I think that's, you know, that's the one thing that I think that many people don't realize is the importance of having goals and even goals way beyond our working years and what people define generally as a lifetime, right? Because you know, for example, I I can just tell you by observing my, my own mother, you know, she should have died 10 or 15 years before she actually did. But in her mind, it was always, okay, what's the next family event that I have to get ready for? What am I going to make? What's the recipe? How can I do some of this stuff now so that I don't get tired? And she always focused on the next event. And it was never a question in her mind that she was not going to be there. It was just, okay, what am I going to do for this event? Right? So I think that that we can control a lot of that ourselves with our mentality. and, And I call it my steel trap mindset because it's just, you know, you don't let anything in. You close your mind off to any alternatives because You know, quite honestly, we can do that. And you had mentioned it or alluded to it earlier. The mind is such a powerful thing. And I think so few people understand the importance of using your mind appropriately and the outcomes that you can get when you do. Absolutely. I do think that if people spent more time understanding that aspect, obviously it doesn't come with an owner's manual. And that's the saddest part because it doesn't come with an owner's mantle and, and not too many people have been able to figure it all out. So that, that in and of itself is two major challenges that we have to overcome at some point. Yes. So how about a personal motto or a mantra that you live by? Yeah. So, you
1: know, ever since actually probably high school, my motto was to trust and be grateful. So just those three words, trust and be grateful. And so when I think about really what that means to me, the first word trust, I believe strongly that we need to trust that humanity is has our back, that people are inherently good, that people inherently want to help you and that the universe or God or higher power has your back. And also in turn to trust yourself, to trust your gut instinct and to trust that no matter what situation you're in, even if you may perceive it as a negative one, you can learn from it and grow. And then in turn to be grateful. I just think that no matter what you're going through in life, and again, even if it's something that you would consider negative, there's still so much to be grateful for and that helps you to get into a positive headspace.
0: You know, I think if we started out our day every day with what you're grateful for, instead of focusing on what you don't have and what you, you you know, comparing yourself to John Schmo down the street, you know, we'd be so much further ahead. Gratitude is, is by far, I think the most powerful medicine we can have. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So, you know, going back to your student days, you know, I know a lot of, especially nowadays, um, students struggle with their student loan debt and, and the concerns they have about paying off that financial burden. Did you have student loan debt when you graduated? I did, yes. Was it a huge, huge weight on your shoulders? And have you been able to manage it pretty well? Just I, what I guess I, I'm, I'm looking for is, is I can say as many times as possible that don't worry about it because you are going to get there, that it's going to be fine. You will pay it off. I promise. Yes. As you know, as many times as I've said that, that, that concern doesn't seem to go away with the students. So um, just some feedback from your perspective would be great. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, I think graduates that are coming out of
1: school now are like the debt that they're graduating now is Mm -hmm. so much higher than when I went through school. And yet certainly when I finished school, we all felt that we were in over our heads and I am very fortunate and blessed now I've been out for 15 years and I recently just finished paying off my school loans. So I'm very, very grateful. But, you know, I would say for anybody that's graduating, you need to just focus on being patient centered and oriented. The money will come. That's probably the biggest thing that I will say is that I'm very grateful that I was able to always keep patients first in that equation. I think that's the way it needs to be. Of course, there's a lot of different structures to how you work either owning a practice or being an associate in a practice. And of course, financially, you need to pay your bills and, um, and be smart about your decisions. But as far as treatment planning, I, I would caution anybody that's a recent graduate, as long as you focus on what the patient needs and explaining everything carefully and really treating patients as you would want to be treated, the money will come. You will be able to pay off your loans.
0: And that's really the the biggest piece of advice I would say. I agree. I I keep telling them that it's, it's going to be fine and as long as they're smart financially from the get go and and really focus on getting that debt down and not buying every louis vuitton pocketbook and louis vuitton shoes that you feel like you need you can do it right but when you're spending frivolously like that you know at the time if you have debt the debt should come first and not the things that you feel like you absolutely can't live without those things you can live without. And the ease of having financial freedom is such a great, reassuring place to be that that it's totally worth giving up all the frivolous stuff, I think. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Natanya, it has been just a pleasure getting to know you. I wish you the best with your new venture and you know, your practice and life out in San Francisco, one of my favorite cities. I love going to San Francisco just so I can go north and go to Napa. So when I go back again, I will probably call and say, hey, you want to have a glass of wine together?
1: Please do, Mary Jane. Thank you so much. This has been a real treat. I
0: really appreciate the opportunity to chat. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.